Let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that you did not leave us without the plan. God, you gave us your word. We know what to expect. Lord, help us to follow it. Help us to be content with it. Help us to, to use it, to apply it to our lives. Lord, change us from the inside out. We thank you, Lord. Let us be washed in your word and uh, give us understanding and application tonight as we get into these things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we go. Now, um, this is an important thing. Is we, before we get into 19, I'm going to look at a couple passages and we'll, we'll get into 19. I, I was hoping to take you guys on a tour of all the second coming passages in the Bible, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The only problem is we have to read through 1,845 passages. So, uh, so I figured, well, I got 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes. Uh, nope, not going to make it. 1,845 passages, times in the Bible. One out of every 30 mention the second coming. In fact, the second coming is mentioned more times in the Bible than the first coming. Uh, 21 times Jesus himself refers to his coming again on a personal level. And 50 times in the Bible the church is called to watch for it, to be ready to prepare for it. So this is an important uh, uh, revelation that God gives to us in his word. He wants us to know about it. He wants us to be ready for it. Interesting though, it's almost like when you're in a culture that is comfortable and you have all the luxuries and things like that, you, you, we tend to get like, well, maybe Jesus, come back, you know, in a year from now or two years from now. Or, and, and I know when I was younger, I thought like, well, Jesus, I just want to do this first before you come. And uh, that really is not the right attitude or heart to have. And you're saying, well, I have that. And, well, I'm not trying to correct you, but here's the deal. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be better than anything you could imagine. It's going to be the best. And we'll, we'll be talking about that. When he establishes his, his reign, things will be right. We're not going to see evil in this world. We're not going to see all these troubles that we have in this world where people are taken advantage of, where there's starvation, all these sorts of things. We're not going to have that because he'll be ruling. So this is an exciting time. Now, turn back to Revelation chapter 4 real fast. We're going to flip through a couple passages. Revelation chapter 4. And let's look at verse 1. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So John receives this call to come up to heaven. The first time heaven opens up in the book of Revelation is to bring John in. It's to let John into heaven so he can be given this revelation and see what, what, what Christ is going to do. The second time heaven opens up in Revelation is to let Jesus out. It, it, it's for Jesus to return. So let's, let's look at chapter 19 and we'll start at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. May God have his blessing in the reading of his word. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. This is kind of awesome. Now you and I are kind of like, okay, white horse, big deal. But, but what John is saying is like, he's putting the emphasis on it. He said, then I saw heaven open, behold a white horse. And you and I are kind of like, okay, white horse. What's, what's the difference? Isn't black beauty kind of the star always? Uh, you know, what does it matter, white horse? Listen, conquerors rode the white horse. Victors rode the white horse. And if you remember when we saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse there in Revelation 6, we saw a guy on a white horse coming out to conquer and be given victory. But, but that's the Antichrist we saw earlier on and he had crowns. But this, this rider on the white horse is very different from the previous one. The previous one set up a false world government. He, well, he set up a world, one world government. He, he made false promises, false prophecies. He set himself up to be worship. And he, he promised peace that was very short-lived. Then this rider, though, this rider coming out of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's on the real white horse. He's the real victor. There's no faking this one. And, and don't, don't mistake him. And, and in John's vision, this is what we've been getting to. You know, in Revelation, we've been going through Revelation. And go ahead and put up that slide again. We, we've been going through Revelation and... We've seen these judgments. We had, we had the seven seal judgments. And with that first seal, we had the, the riders, the, the, the four horsemen there. And then, and then with each seal that is opened up, we saw more calamity and more trouble being unleashed on the earth. More judgments coming during this tribulation period. Then we had the seven trumpet judgments. And with each trumpet blown, we saw some incredible, hard-to-believe things as John is talking about what's going to happen on the earth during the seven-year period of the tribulation, the great judgment. Now, remember, tribulation is not, uh, it's not in reference to the idea of the Christian suffering. It's in reference to God judging. That's what the tribulation is about. So, uh, and, and we, we got a peek of that in, in Revelation 3 when John tells the church in Philadelphia, because you've been faithful to keep my word, I will keep you out of the great trial that will come upon the whole earth. And, and, uh, 
And so we have these, the, the trumpet judgments. And then, of course, finally we had the seven bowl judgments. And with each bowl, we saw terrible things happening on the earth. And, and as we saw these things unfold, I, uh, we were all exhausted. We talked about that last week. And now, and same with John. I'm sure John's feeling the same thing. He's tired of seeing judgment being poured out. So he, now he says, behold, a white horse. That's the one. That's the victor. This is what it's all been leading up to. This is what we've been waiting for. The revealing of Jesus Christ back to the earth. The one sitting on it called faithful and true. In righteousness he judge and, judges and makes war. All right, turn with me over to Isaiah 64. We're going to we'll look at a couple passages in the Old Testament. Isaiah 64. <clears throat> Isaiah 64. Somebody's car alarm is going off. Isaiah 64 and verse 1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. And this prophecy about Messiah coming, oh, that you might tear open the heavens. That you might rip open the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake. Now flip over to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Okay. And you guys can, you guys can mark these in your Bibles. These passages and put them right there next to Revelation 14. But Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile. But the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Look at verse 3. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. So that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And uh, we, we can stop there. So here in Isaiah we saw, oh, won't you rend open the heavens, won't you tear them open. And, and, and come down. Zechariah tells us about these nations of the earth coming to do battle against Israel. And in Jerusalem, we've already seen that they've been gathering the nations. We saw that in Revelation, earlier in Revelation 14. or uh, Yeah, 14. And uh, the nations have come out to do battle. Uh, Zechariah tells us that they're going to be fighting house to house, plundering the people, taking advantage of the people. And then, of course, what does it say? The Lord himself will come down and fight. And he'll split open the Mount of Olives. Jesus said that his coming will be like his leaving, that he's going to come right back there. That as far as the east is from the west, like lightning, you'll see it. It's, you're not going to miss this coming. So the one, uh, here's the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. Have you thought about those titles that Jesus gets, Faithful and True? Compare that with the Antichrist. All he does is lie. He, he gives false peace. He, he, he says, come on, everybody, uh, 
we can make this peace accord and get everybody together. And as soon as there's peace happening, we see he erects an image of himself to be worshipped. We see that there's famine and starvation. We see that he starts making war against the believers and the saints. And he starts uh, punishing them and killing them. But not Jesus. He's the faithful and true one. Here's something I want you to think about. If God says it, he will surely do it. He's faithful. And he always tells the truth. He cannot lie. I, I want you to consider, if, you, if you're of the opinion that God is taking too long, that maybe this stuff isn't really going to happen, I want you to rethink that. Because if God says it, he will surely do it. He will accomplish it. And we've seen that over and over in prophecy. So in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flaming fire. We saw that description of Jesus in Revelation 1.14 and Revelation 2.18. On his head are many diadems. What, what is that? Many crowns. He's a ruler, a victor, a conqueror. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. Do you want to know that name? <laughs> I do. But he himself holds that name. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood in the name by which he is called is the word of God. Remember John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning is the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, not a God. If you have a new world translation, you want to remove that. The word was God. This is the title of Jesus Christ. He is the word. So here's what John is doing. He's making sure we understand that this, all these prophecies about Messiah coming in the Old Testament are tied in right here with Jesus Christ. That, that everyone reading this prophecy will know that the one who's going to rend open the heavens, the one who's going to land on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split, is that same one who went to a cross for you and for me. It's that same Jesus Christ. And uh, so don't make any mistake here. It is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 11.3 says this. It says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Are you guys tired of injustice? Are you tired of people being taken advantage of? Are you tired when you get taken advantage of? If so, say, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, come. Jesus, we want you to come back. We want you to, to make right this earth. We want a king who is just and righteous. And that's what he says here. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, head many diadems, clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called, the word of God. Look at verse 14. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, linen white and pure. We're following him on white horses. Armies of, white, of, of heaven. Now, some, some people, some teachers and commentators have put this as angels. The, the armies of heaven referring to angels. In the Old Testament, certainly armies of heaven refer to angels. But th this is a unique group of people because it draws attention to the purity that they have. The, the white, the fine linen, clothed, clothed in this fine linen that's white and pure. That's, that's also a term that's always referred to in, as the church or those washed in the blood of the Lamb, those who have been made righteous in the sight of God. Who is this army of heaven? Well, I believe that this is you and me. This will be you and me on that day. 
coming back with Jesus. Now, I get really excited about the idea of, of going into battle. Um, you know, it's, it just sounds really great. You know, yes, I'm going into battle with Jesus. But here's the problem. I, I won't actually get to fight, neither will you. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. <laughs> he merely speaks. Battle's over. You know, I... Uh, the Super Bowl, every year of the Super Bowl, you know, you get see two teams, you decide which team you're going to root for, and you're excited. And, and this year I, I was saying that the, <laughs> the, the Broncos were certainly going to lose, and, and I, was, I was very wrong. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> unfortunately there were more Broncos fans, and they got to rub it in my face. But here's the deal. If you knew which team was already going to win, how many of you would be swayed to cheer for that team? I would. I'm a front runner. I'm telling you right now. I, I'm a winner. I, I want to see a W put up on the board. I don't like to lose. I, I don't like losing. I never have. I, and I always want to be on the winning team. In fact, uh, <laughs> you know, if I can stack the odds at all to win, I'm, I'm going to do it. I, I want to win. And um, here the Bible is telling us, no question about it, Jesus is going to win. So how many of you in this room are on Jesus' team? How many of you are opposing Jesus' team? This, that's the question I want you to start thinking about. If, if Jesus is going to win and the stakes are high, we're not talking about a friendly game here. We're not talking about a, an, an, a little wager. We're talking about eternity. In eternity, are you, are, are, you know... The Bible says Jesus is going to win. Are you going to be on that team? Are you going to be with him, clothed and pure, fine linen, white and pure, ready to come with him? Or are you still trying to play for your own team? And I'll tell you right now, if you're playing for your own team, you're just on the devil's team. You're on the team of the Antichrist. It, you know, the, for a while there when uh, the <laughs> that uh, Twilight was real popular, people wore shirts, says Team Jacob, Team Edward. And um, <laughs> I want to be Team Jesus. That's, that's the team I want to be on. One who actually can win. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I actually almost threw up a little bit in my mouth when I said the word twilight. So, <laughs> so anyway. Um, I want to be on Jesus' team. And the word of God tells us specifically, God has been telling us. And you might be saying, well, why so long? Listen. God desires that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. He has a time. He has a date. He knows exactly when it's going to happen. Just like all through the Old Testament, when God is talking about this messianic kingdom, with his rule, what God is going to do, he gave time. There was time going by and, and until Jesus came the first time for his first kingdom. Now we have more time and we're waiting. And I believe we're closer than ever. From his mouth comes this sharp sword with which to rule them, Psalm 2 verse 9 says what? It says that it, it, Psalm 2 is that wonderful psalm that is almost like a, it, well, it is, it's, it's a conversation between the Trinity. And in Psalm 2, we have that, that wonderful passage that Jesus will, let me go there real fast because I, I did not put it in my notes. Psalm 2, if you want to turn there, you can. It might be up behind me. Psalm 2 verse 9 you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Of course, the psalm is saying, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, earth set themselves and the rulers take counsels together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. So 
the, the, the nations of this earth, the kings, the peoples of this earth are setting themselves up against God. They, they rage against God. And, and, and the answer is, you're, you're going to break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In Egypt, in ancient Egypt, they had a practice where Pharaoh would go around and he would set up a clay pot with uh, the symbol of whatever country they were warring against. And in, in, in the meetings for their planning meetings and whatnot, he would take his scepter and he would crush that clay pot like it was nothing. It was just an ancient tradition they did in Egypt. I'm sure this was a tradition that, that Israel was familiar with too. Whatever the case is, have you ever smashed a clay pot? It's, it's easy. There's no resistance at all. You just, you, you just smash something and it just breaks and not, no big deal. Here's the deal. Jesus is going to smash his enemies with a rod of iron just like clay pots are broken. It's not even a contest. He, he will right this world. He will put an end to the reign of Satan. He will redeem it completely. Notice what his name is here. Um, on his robe... And on his, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The, this, this reference is the idea that he will be the king above all kings. All those Christmas prophecies that we read about in Isaiah and Zechariah, about that God will give him this kingdom that will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be Emmanuel. All these things are coming to be right here in Revelation 19 and 20. We're going to see he sets up his kingdom. King Louis XIV of France, he preferred to be called Louis the Great. He had declared, I am the state. And he died in 1717. His court was the most magnificent in all of Europe. And his funeral was the most spectacular. In the church uh, where the ceremony was performed, his body was laid in a golden coffin. To dramatize his greatness, orders had been given that the cathedral would be very dimly lit with only one special candle that was to be set above the coffin. The thousands of people in attendance waited in silence, and the bishop, uh, Massilian, began to speak, slowly reaching down above King Louis the Great's coffin. He snuffed out the candle, and he said, only God is great. (laughs) It's kind of hard to say how great you are when you're dead, isn't it? Only God is great. The living God, he's the only great one. And here, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I wonder, are you looking to a politician to save this country? Are, are, are you putting hope in a politician? And, and frankly, as, as the world watches and as we watch, we're like, this is becoming a joke. This whole primary election, we're like, are you serious? Out of all these people we have, these are the top leaders? How is this possible? One is under investigation by the FBI. The other just constantly says, I'm great, and that's all we really get out of him. And and I'm not trying to give a political commentary here, but that's the best we have to look forward to. You know what? Don't hope in politicians. Hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the king of kings. He's the one who has authority. The uh, <clears throat> This scene here is a demonstration that we're coming into of the Battle of Armageddon, it's a demonstration of this long last filthiness being cleansed from the earth. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God. 
This seems pretty brutal to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Can you believe that? The audacity of man to make war against God. Revelation 14 references this, this battle of Armageddon. Isaiah 63 talks about this, this battle. We, we, see it all, we see it in numerous places. Ezekiel has a battle similar, but it seems a little different. It seems like it's dealing with one nation versus all the nations of the world. But all these battles, the, the, this great battle of, if you remember in Revelation 14, demons went out and enticed the kings of the earth to come to the, the valley of Megiddo and for this battle. Uh, that was back in Revelation 14. So they've enticed all these kings of the earth to come. Do you remember the Euphrates River was drying up so that they could, they could use it to get to Israel quicker? Here they are amassed for battle. And look who they want to make war against, God. They want to make war against God. Now, people have, have talked about this passage. Well, maybe it's really in reference to God's people, to Israel. Maybe it's not really in reference to God. Here's what I think about it. If I'm, if I'm God's people... He's my warrior. <laughs> he, he, I'm his. I, I'm a child of God. God will fight for me. And if you come against me, you're coming against God. So I love that, that idea that, that, um, that if you come against God's people, you've got to deal with the wrath of God. In fact, the Lord says vengeance is mine. It, it belongs to him. We're not to take vengeance upon ourselves, but rather we're to say, okay, Lord, I've been wronged. I've been abused by somebody. You take vengeance. And we, all, we especially have a hard time when a Christian wrongs us because we're saying, well, how do I get vengeance now? Because they're forgiven. Why not? Listen, the Lord's going to write all these things. Leave it to the Lord. Leave it to the Lord to deal with vengeance. You and I as Christians, as we deal with heartache and hardship, or people coming against us, it's easier to deal with, with an enemy, someone who hates God and wants to persecute us. We can deal with that easier, right? It's like, okay, well, it's expected. But to deal with a fellow Christian, that's much harder. But God's instructions to you and to I are to leave the vengeance to him. So what do we do with it? We leave it to him. Every time we want to take vengeance, every time we want to let that root of bitterness grow in us, we need to go to the Lord and say, all right, Lord, I need to give it to you again. I need to give it to you again. I, I know as I talk about the subject of leap, making room for God to have the vengeance and leaving it to him, I'm sure many of you in the room can just, bam, the, the, the thought of somebody who's hurt you or taken advantage of you comes right to mind. But trust me, let the Lord fight your battles. The, the outcome is going to be much better if you leave it to the Lord. Put it in his hands. And you know what? On that day, the one who judges in righteousness and faithfulness, the one who is true, you know what we'll all be saying? That was a good judgment. I, I, I'm in agreement with that. Praise you, Lord. We're going to have no problem with his judgments on that day. We're just going to be like, wow, that was, I would have never thought of doing it that way. That was amazing, God. And then, of course, these armies of the battle, look at the judgment that's waiting for them. <laughs> The, 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 
the death toll here on this battlefield for those who are coming to fight against him. As the Lord speaks, they die, and the birds circle around to eat their flesh. That's also in um, Revelation 14. It talks about the blood being up to the bridles of horses for 1,600 stadia. And I saw the beasts of the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war. Oh, sorry, go to verse 20. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who was in, the, in its presence and done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Man, I, you're just expecting, I mean, as, as revelation is going through and the tribulation is happening, you're, you're just kind of expecting like a bigger climax. You're, you're expecting like a bigger battle. It's, uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You have that final battle and it's, it goes back and forth. And you almost think that the armies of Mordor, the dark armies are going to take the day. They, they're starting to lose. And then eventually Aragorn shows up on the ship with all the dead armies. You know, and if, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan or you watch the movies, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it's awesome. You should watch them. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I love watching that series. Um, but, but Aragorn, the right king, jumps off of this boat and he, he's got this army that's is considered the dead army and they're all following him and they, they sweep through killing all the armies of Mordor. And, and all, the, all the evil army. And, and, but, but we see this battle go back and forth and we see trial happening. But that's not how this battle is. This battle is just Jesus winning. So, so in the end, I, I mean, and you guys, okay, Dave, we got it. Your sermon's been going on here for a few minutes and, and I, I got it. Jesus wins. Yeah, okay, if you got Jesus wins, you've, you've got the sermon. You've got the whole context. The, the, the beast, remember from Revelation, uh, well, sorry, let me backtrack real fast. The beast from Revelation chapter, uh, man, I, all of a sudden I lost this. Um, chapter 11, chapter, oh, 13. Chapter 13, thanks. Uh, that's what I thought it was, but I was second-guessing myself. The beast from chapter 13, which is also called the Antichrist, and his false prophet from chapter 13 also. Remember we had the beast coming up out of the water and the beast coming from the land. These both are taken and thrown alive into the fire that burns with sulfur. What is that? Well, it's also called hell, that burning lake of sulfur. Um, Jesus said, where the worm never dies. Where, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, you know, it's become popular in, in our current generation to not teach about hell. It's become very popular to say that, that it's just annihilation, that God, you know, we're not going to talk about hell and that, that when people die, they just are annihilated. And, and I, I think a part of this is compromise because we have loved ones who reject Jesus Christ. And, and we don't want to say that they're going to go to hell. We, we, don't want to, we don't want to say that hell is waiting for those who reject Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so we, we, we almost want to think that, okay, this isn't really hell. This, it's, not, it's not hell in the sense of this eternal damnation that goes on forever and ever. It's eternal separation from God. We don't want to talk about that. It makes us uncomfortable. But listen, rem remember the name of Jesus Christ? Faithful and true. If Jesus says it, it's true. If you and I don't like it, we'll be on team Jesus. 
Encourage your loved ones to be on Team Jesus. Because there is a time for mercy. There is a time in which mercy is abundant and we can throw ourselves at the grace of God. We can avoid divine judgment. But there will be a time when we can no longer do that. Right now, today is the day of grace. Today is the day that, that the Lord is, is offering that mercy to us and that, that grace. You know, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If we refuse to repent, it is a very terrifying thing. You can throw yourselves at the mercy of the cross and avoid judgment. Avoid not only judgments, the tribulation period and all those things, but ultimately an eternal hell. Or you can choose to just say, well, I'm going to keep going the way I'm going. I don't want God's grace. I don't want his mercy. <laughs> you might be saying to back in your mind, you might be thinking, well, you're probably thinking two things right now. Either I'm really bored or two, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, you're thinking, uh, see, I got a laugh over here. So I, <laughs> I'm going to pray for you. I'm just kidding. Uh, or the second thing you're thinking is, um, <laughs> well, I don't really feel good about it. I don't really feel like Jesus is like really good. I'm not really being stirred emotionally. Listen, I, I don't want you to be stirred emotionally. I want you to, in faith, say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to go to the judgment. When I die, I don't want to go to the judgment. I had a near-death experience this week, and um, <laughs> I did something really stupid. I, um, <clears throat> we were out looking for this uh, monument, uh, this Air Force uh, these these plane, Air Force uh, X planes crashed out in the desert, and so we were looking for this GPS coordinates, and we found this open field, and it was supposed to be somewhere within this open field, but we were looking around, going, "I don't see this monument," and it's for the uh, X two plane. These two planes were flying, and they bumped into each other in 1966, I believe, and and they both crashed there in the desert, and we thought we ha we hadn't ever seen that yet in the in the desert, so we said, "Let's go find it." So uh, we were all kind of walking around this, and I'm looking at the picture on the phone that it seems like it's kind of up on a ridge line, and we were down in a little bit of a valley. So I said, hey, Nick, let me see your bike real fast. So I jumped on Nick's bike, uh, motorcycle, and uh, I, I haven't ridden motorcycles for a while just because I haven't had time. But, it, you know, it's no big deal. I, I like riding motorcycles. So I jump on his dirt bike, and I'm riding up around the hills, and I'm starting to have fun. I'm like, man, I forgot how much fun it is riding a dirt bike. And now I didn't put on a helmet. I just... You know, I had a hat on, uh, <laughs> which is pretty much worthless. So I'm, I'm driving up and around, and, and I'm, now I'm having fun, and, and I'm, okay, I'm looking around. I get up to a high point. I don't see anything. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to head back. So I'm coming around, and there's like a little, a little jump or a little top of the hill with another whoop-de-doo. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to kind of hit these real fast. And, and uh, I, I think what happened is Nick's shock for his bike is adjusted for his weight. And I'm like four, I'm like four Nicks, okay? So there's, there's actually like four of Nick and me. One here, one here, and one here and here. And I think that's what happened. 
So I, I hit this little bump, and all of a sudden I'm flying through the air. <laughs> Just like, I'm, I, I, I don't even know how I ended up off the bike flying. And, and when, when you're at the top of a hill and you're flying, that means you have farther to go until you, till, till you meet the earth. And uh, <laughs> so I met the earth hard. Bam. The first thought I, I, I thought was like, my wife's going to be mad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> would I rather be dead or face my wife? So <laughs> she's just looking at me with the <laughs> intent. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so I, 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 I'm laying there and I'm in like a lot of pain. Uh, and I'm just laying there face down in all the dirt and thorns. And uh, I, I just got to wait. I can't even move. I'm in so much pain when I hit the hit the the earth, and uh, Wyatt Myers comes up around the corner. He sees me. He's like, oh, "Dave, do you need help?" And I'm like, "I'm good." <laughs> you know, I'm like he's like, "Do you want me to go get something?" I'm like, "Hold on, just a minute." <laughs> and uh, like, my face was all bloody and stuff. And and he's like, "You're bleeding." I'm like, "I'm good. That's not the part that hurts." <laughs> and uh, and so I'm laying there in the dirt and going, "That was so stupid. Why did I do that?" Uh, those famous last words, right? So I, 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 I like slowly am able to move this arm up. And then I, I'm like, I think I can get up. <laughs> so I get up and I'm like, hold on. And I'm trying to wipe off the blood on my face. I'm like, okay, Wyatt, does it still look like I, I, I fell? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I got to go face everybody. No, no, and then I just <laughs> rode off on Nick's bike and crashed terribly. It was, it was by far one of the worst crashes that Rex ever had on a motorcycle. So anyway, I get up, come back, and, and, uh, and you know what, though? I'll, t- I'll tell you a couple of things. One, I, I, I apologize to the Lord for tempting, tempting him <laughs> by being dumb. But the other thing is, is, you know what? My life is safe with Jesus Christ. And I, I don't live recklessly. That was just a dumb moment. But, but I also know that on that day when I'm called home, on that day that the Lord knows that I'm going to do something really stupid, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. On that day which, which he is destined for me to be called home, and it could have been, it could have been yesterday. And it could have been. It, it could have been driving up in the rain up to the mountains or to Barstow. It could have been driving, running an errand to Home Depot last week. I don't know when that day. It could have been at Magic Mountain. I was on Magic Mountain. You know, they, those roller coasters, you know, you just never know when you're going to fall out of one. Right? I'm just kidding. But, uh, but I'm not. Um, no. <laughs> but we just don't know that day when we're going to be called home. When we're going we're gonna to leave this life. And, and for me, it's not about feeling good about the decision. It's about making the right decision. Now, on a side note, I, this morning I, I woke up and I, I was like limping around the camp trying to move. And Dave Shore sees me and he says, Dave, are you okay? I'm like, yep, I'm going to be good. And uh, he says, uh, what happened? I was like, well, Dave, I got in a fight with the earth and lost. <laughs> and then he said, He's like, really? I was like, yeah, I, you know, I thought I could take a blow, but I don't He's like, no, Dave, I, I think the sun actually went down a, a little bit later yesterday. I think you might have knocked it out of orbit. You won. I'm like, I'll take the W, <laughs> you know. But uh, we just don't know at that point in time which we're going to go into the hands of the living God. We don't know. My choice is to be in Jesus Christ. 
the one who is righteous, the one who makes me righteous, that's my choice. I want to live. I want to know that I have a, a better eternity yet waiting for me, something much better than the now. That's what I want. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? These two were thrown into the lake of fire which burns with sulfur. The rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him. Now, they're going to be judged later on. And let me just kind of explain how this is going to go uh, before we close tonight. We're going to see Jesus set up a millennial reign, a thousand-year reign here on the earth. Now, there are, this is what it's, uh, next week when we get into this, we're going to talk about all the different end times uh, eschatological views. Okay, Esca eschatos means last in Greek or last things. So eschatological just means the, the views of the end times or the views of last things. So it all centers around Revelation 20, this thousand-year reign passage, the passage that Jesus is going to set up. And just to give you a little preview of that, we have amillennial. That's a system that believes that the thousand-year reigns is not an actual thousand-year reigns. It's more figurative. And that's happening kind of, kind of right now. A little bit, but it's not, not a literal thousand-year reign. And so Jesus comes back after this thousand-year reign. We have post-millennial, which means that the thousand-year reign is actually happening right now, that this is the millennial reign of Christ, and Jesus comes back after that. Then we have the pre-millennial view, which means that Jesus comes before his thousand-year reign, and he's going to set up a literal physical thousand-year reign. That's my view. And that's the view of Calvary Chapel. And that's the view of many more throughout. And so next week we'll get into that and explain it. Then we're going to have, for this thousand year period, Satan chained up, bound up. And we're going to have a peace on this earth that is lasting like never before. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is going to be released. He goes forth, tempting. Sure enough, guess what man does? Man gets tempted again. You and I will not though, just so you know. We're, our, our, when, once, once we are raptured uh, the, or we go to be with the Lord, we're going to hit that finished, finished place. Um, so we're going to see that Satan is released. Then we're going to see a judgment happen, the great white throne judgment. So the beast and the Antichrist have already been thrown into the lake of sulfur. The rest of those who are slain are just dead. Okay. Where's dead? Well, we don't know for sure where the dead go. Uh, it seems that, that they go to a place of uh, also called Gehenna uh, in, in the New Testament or, or, or the Old Testament or in Hades in the New Testament. And it's, it's hell, but it's prior to the judgment. It's not the burning lake of sulfur, not that permanent hell. It's that place where they're waiting judgment. And they're going to be resurrected at, at the end of the millennial reign. And they're going to be judged. And, and then we find out that, that Satan... The, the, uh, all the dead are judged and death and hell, Hades, are thrown into the burning lake of sulfur. And that's the final hell that we're going to see in Revelation. Then we're going to see a new heavens and new earth. So that's kind of coming. So the beast, though, and the, and the Antichrist, they're the first ones that get there. They're going to be the first ones that get there. I'll tell you right now, I don't want to follow those guys. I want to follow Jesus Christ the faithful and true one, the one who's the king of kings and the Lord of the lords, the one who does right and will not lie, the one who's always just and righteous, the one who has my best interest in mind. Amazing how we go about saying, no, I'm going to follow myself. I'm going to do what I want to do. 
when really all we're doing is just following Satan. And, and the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the abundance. Who do you want to follow? That's my question for you. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we do thank you that in you we find life and we find it to the abundance. God, you show us what the good life is. And if there's anyone in this room tonight... And, and you're trying to make a decision about this. I want to encourage you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can know that you will not go to hell. That you will be have life and have it abundantly and have it eternally. And the best is yet to come. So listen, if you're in this room tonight and, and you want to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I, I just want to, I want, everybody's eyes are closed. I want you to lift up your hand. I, I want to pray for you. If you're in this room tonight and you want to receive Jesus Christ, because I, I want to be able to follow up with you later on. Nobody in here? Okay. No one in here wants to receive, okay. All right. Lord, we just thank you so much that you have paid the price for us. You have finished the work for us on that cross. We thank you that you are coming. Your word says it. You will do it. And we prepare for that coming. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we're ready to follow you. Lord, help us to be faithful with the message of love and salvation. God, I'm thankful that I don't have to bring the message of judgment right now. I get to bring the message of grace and mercy. So, Lord, I, I do pray, dear God, that uh, you'd make me faithful with it while it's available. And uh, bless our worship now in Jesus' name. Amen.